conversations about everything from violin making to hiking, Hear Me Now is driven by the curiosity of young people in Ogden, Utah. This podcast is a production of KUER in partnership with Nurture the Creative Mind. We've handed over the microphone to local teens so they can interview someone about a topic they care about. Let's dive in. I'm Christian Rogers, and I interviewed R. Alex Wilson, a luthier, or instrument craftsman based in Salt Lake City. Now, I've been playing viola for almost 10 years now, and when I found out about Alex, I immediately wanted to learn more about his experiences. He frequently works on violins for top musicians. Some of these were crafted over 300 years ago. He discusses what it is like to work on this caliber of instrument, as well as how he got into the field. I am a violin maker, so I work with violin family instruments, violin, viola, cello, the occasional bass. I make new instruments, and I also work on old instruments. And then I also am an instructor at the Violin Making School of America, and I am a woodworking instructor there, so I also teach people how to do violin making, starting from zero, from the beginning all the way up through their first seven instruments. That's actually like a really interesting career. How do you manage to get into that field in that area? I had a music background and a woodworking background. I studied music in college. I was a music major uh, in undergrad in music theory and composition. I got a master's degree in ethnomusicology, not directly related to violin making, but an academic track in the the music field. So I had a lot of musical study, but... um, had spent a lot of years making a living really as a woodworker. I built houses, I built barns, I built furniture, I built a lot of stuff out of wood uh, to make a living, uh, you know. Eventually for me, realized, gosh, you know, I I really like woodworking. Um, I like working with my hands. I really enjoy there being a, a tangible object at the end of a day of work, but I I love music and I love everything that comes along with that. I mean, music is such a rich world for intellectual stimulation, all kinds of things that music does for us, right? And so for me, violin making was this great synthesis of the music world and the woodworking world. And when I realized I could do both at the same time, uh, I really found a path that just made sense for me and my interests. Nice. How long have you been doing violin making for? I attended the school here, the school where I now teach, and I graduated from the school in 2012. So I've been um, out of school working professionally for 10 years. That's really impressive. That's a long time. It's a lot of experience you must have gathered. You know, one of the great things about violin making is it's a lifelong learning pursuit. Honestly, one thing that's attractive to me about it is you can always keep getting better at it. There's always more to learn. You can keep pushing yourself. And so people that are 10, 20 years my senior, I still learn things from them all the time, you know? Very collaborative field, it seems like. Is there anything specifically that you're, like, looking into, like, learning to become better at at the moment? I mean, good makers, you know, you're, you're always trying to make the best instrument you can make with every instrument, and that's really what it's about for me. I'm not just churning out, you know, thousands and thousands just because I can make instruments, right? Each instrument is a chance to do better than I've done before. I I don't know, one comparison that we'll use is you think of an instrument as an ecosystem, right? It's not just that you have to make one part well, it's that everything needs to fit together and um, be cohesive um, 
and work well kind of as a team, right? Yeah, and as as someone who's played uh, viola for a, a, almost 10 years now, you can definitely tell when an instrument, when that ecosystem is just right. Uh, about how long does it take you to make an instrument, like from start to finish? That can definitely vary. Uh, depends on whether it's a model I've made before or whether I've been called to make a model that I haven't made or that I haven't made in a while. So uh. we're constantly dealing with this combination of the visual aesthetic and the sound, right? And there is a relationship between those. So it depends on what all I got to do. If I can get a fin uh, an instrument fully finished in 200 hours of work, that's great. But I might spend Whoa. as long as 400 hours on it, depending on what I got to do. And there are makers yeah. that can crank things out super fast. And there are makers that just take even longer than, than that time span. You know, it really can vary. Jeez. Yeah. That's shocking to me, two to 400 hours thinking about the structure of like my viola or something it makes sense but that's insane the amount yeah. of like dedication into that right and you know it can be done faster you can make a violin in a week and then varnish it the next week and in two weeks you finished it you know kind of depends on if the wood will let you go that fast yeah. <laughs> you know? do you have any like in progress models or things uh that can show kind of the process or just anything you're working on right now Sure, sure, yeah, of course. Um, I, I think we're we're only audio for this production, right? So I'll yeah. kind of describe some things, but I'll show you here, Christian. So this is a piece of wood. <laughs> so violin <laughs> making starts here, right? This is where it begins, um, which is raw, coarse wood. This piece of wood uh, I cut in Colorado, get nice. a permit from the Forest Service, and we go out and we look for Engelman spruce trees. And so this is Engelman spruce, and that's what I make the top out of. You know, if you didn't know what you're looking at, you think, hey, that'd be go good on the campfire, right? Put that <laughs> right on, it burned fine, it sure would. Um, and reject piles of wood. I take my kids camping and we have a nice campfire, you know. This one, I really wouldn't want to burn it. This could be a violin. So um huh. so I let that age. So I'm not using the wood while it's new. Um, I monitor the moisture in the piece of wood. I need the moisture levels to get down. Um, low enough so that it's dry and the wood's cured a bit before I would think about using it. So that raw piece, eventually, this isn't a finished violin top, but this is on its way to becoming a violin top. This is actually wood from the same forest as that piece that I just showed you, okay? Huh. So at this point, it's a piece, raw piece like this, that actually has been split in half. Um, and of course, there's an outline shape that has to be carved and an arch shape. That art shape's a big deal as far as how your sound goes. you got to get the right shape for the model and for the wood you're using. And then the inside also, right, that's what I'm working on right now. See, the inside looks a little rougher than the outside. Yeah. So working on the inside, right? So um, that's what a top looks like in progress. Um, huh. That all, of course, has to fit eventually on a, on a body, right? Oh, dang. So this is a rib structure. Yeah. And so this is the sides of an instrument. And this is all maple with, uh, in this case, willow blocks and lining. So there's this internal structure, as you can see, these blocks and yeah. these extra little strips that are inside the ribs. And then once you get a good mold, like I, I really, I, I make on this mold often, um, you can use it over and over and over again to make lots of instruments on it, right? So, there, you know, it's full, violin making is full of these fun technical woodworking challenges, you know? Um, so, uh, yeah, and then, of course, eventually all that comes together and you get a finished instrument. These are all instruments that are I'm working on, you know, not in progress, yeah. not uh, finished. But obviously, 
I mean, and Christian, you know what a finished instrument looks like. Yeah. This instrument was made on that mold that I just showed you. Oh. So winds up coming out like this, fully strung up and everything and all that. So we go all the way from those raw chunks of wood to this um, nice finished state. Very intricate process, it seems like. Have you worked on any instruments, be it made or even just repaired, uh, that stuck out to you the most in your lifetime? Yeah, lots of them. Lots of them. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, it's a little bit, um, I don't know, almost, especially if I'm working on old stuff, I think um, there's kind of an ethical obligation to treat them all as if it was the best instrument in the world, right? Yeah. Um, we anthropomorphize these instruments a little bit, and they do have some kind of human-like qualities. So so if I'm working on an instrument, if I agree to do it, I really need to treat it like yeah, like it's the most important instrument in the world. And ethically, I, I'm committed to that. Um, but, you know, for sure. I mean, when you get to hold a real Stradivarius, when you get to hold a real Del Jesu, oh my gosh, yeah. you know, some of the, uh, uh, you never forget that. Are there any uh, instruments or styles that you would like to work on at some point in the future or you haven't seen yet and you just think would be interesting to do maintenance for or to create in a certain style? Sure. I mean, at this point, I'm very specialized and focused on these Stradivari models, Del Jesu models, Guadagnini models, a lot of these uh, just historically significant uh, violin family models. I don't know. I'm di- Right now, I'm dying to make my next cello. I can't wait. I've got these violins <laughs> that I'm glad to be making, but uh, I'm due for a cello. It's killing me. i just like, gosh, when can I make my next cello, you know? Is Utah unique in the world of like violin, viola, cello making? Oh, good question. Things are a little bit unique because there is the Violin Making School of America in Salt Lake. And Utah does have, honestly, a pretty big and supported classical music scene. Not everywhere in the country has those things. Because the school is here and has been here for a long time, there are more violin makers in Salt Lake City than in most other towns you would go to. Do you think, and if so, how has your career kind of uh, affected the way you listen to music? Oh, gosh. Huh. That's a, really, that's a really tough question to answer. I'm sure it has changed. I think probably, the, you know, working professionally, the th- biggest thing that has changed has been being able to not just enjoy listening to it and not just to find personal meaning in listening to it. And those things are great, right? But being able to understand what other people are hearing, being able to rigorously break down what's in a sound and get technical with the sound, right? I use a lot of acoustical data. I look at sound spectrums. I look at spectrographs. I use FFTs, fast Fourier transforms. I don't know if you've looked at those or know what those are. (laughs) So look at like, what are we actually hearing, right? And often, you know, when I'm working with an instrument, it's because there's an issue, there's a problem. Something's not quite connecting with the musician or with the audience. If things are going well, that instrument is a medium for communication, right? A musician yeah. is connecting with their audience to communicate something that that is meaningful, that has some importance, right? It, it, you don't want the instrument to block that. You want all of that to flow through the instrument. And if that's not quite happening, or if a musician thinks, yeah, but there can be more, I can communicate that more, someone's got to get in there a bit like a mechanic, right? And be like, what's kind of stopping this connection here, right? What's the interference? And so learning how to do that kind of technical listening, that's a big difference between someone who just loves listening to music and gets the meaning of it and someone who can work in it professionally. 
Is there anything else that uh, I haven't asked that you'd like to mention at all? Sometimes, you know, this kind of career path is something that can sound really fun and interesting to somebody. And then <laughs> they go into it and then they go, oh my gosh, that is so much work. I had no idea. I thought it was just, you're kind of sitting around having fun playing with fiddles. And I think with anything, you know, I would say general advice, it, you, it's, I love it. That's why I do it. And I think it, it means so much to find something that you're passionate about, that you care about, that you think is important, that you think contributes something to the world. And I feel all those things about violin making. And it's way too much work, way too difficult to do if you don't have all those like kind of core commitments but uh, you know, if someone out there is thinking about entering violin making, I would say, look, if you if you really do feel committed, if you like working with wood, if you like music, if you feel like, and you don't mind actually working, I'm um, pushing yourself, then yeah, it's something that you could consider doing. All right. Thank you very much for your time, and thank you for speaking with us. You're welcome. Thanks for asking questions. It was just nice to meet you, Christian. This podcast is a production of KUER in collaboration with Nurture the Creative Mind in Ogden, Utah. Nurture the Creative Mind is led by Amir Jackson. Our Hear Me Now team for this season included Izzy Felix, Ethan Wintle, Christian Rogers, and Jackson Feldbauer. Course instruction and editing by Trisha Bobita and Joel Meyer of Podcast Mountain. Local support for the Hear Me Now podcast was generously provided by George and Mary Hall and the Emma Eccles Jones Foundation. Thanks for listening. <laughs>